key passage for the day. See, we're, we're working through this series that we've called The Beginning of Wisdom, where we're looking at various passage, passages that describe the fear of the Lord. Now, I want you to listen now to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. Here's what the text reads. It says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Well, let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. And today, uh, I'm really excited about this passage and this series we've been walking through. And I was actually considering how, uh, I guess, uh, surprised I've been by how practical this series has been. If you're new here, we've been working through this series that we're calling the, the beginning of wisdom. And what, what we dreamt up was, a, let's look at the Proverbs that talk about this concept that seems so kind of heady. The fear of the Lord. But let's look at what the Proverbs actually teach. And what we've been seeing is how, how practical they are. Now, to set up today's message, uh, I want to share with you, I'm, I'm kind of in a weird season as a pastor. The kind of pastoral ministry ebbs and flows. There are sometimes six, eight months where I go without doing a single wedding, where there's not one funeral that I'm part of, and then that season ends, and all of a sudden it's, you know, everyone's getting married, and, and a number of people have passed away. And I'm in that latter part of, of the season right now. There, there is just, uh, my schedule is full of premarital counseling. There's weddings. There are memorials one after another. In fact, it's been so busy that yesterday, you guys will want to hear this, Stephen Klukas, who just led worship, he officiated his first funeral yesterday as a pastor, did a really wonderful job because I was actually doing another one. So uh, it's just one of those seasons where there's so much happening in people's lives. And, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how at the end of the day, a wedding and a funeral, they have more in common than you realize. Now, that might sound kind of weird, right? You might be thinking, Mike, that's kind of morbid. Weddings are one thing. Funerals are completely different. But, but hear me out, because I think this sets us up for understanding this proverb that can be a little bit challenging to, to understand. You see, when a wedding happens, the wedding is all about relationships. I mean, it's just a wonderful moment, right? You have the, 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 the bride and the groom, and they're standing up there in front of witnesses, and they're making their vows before God. And it is a moment of, really, a, a high moment of relational commitment. Weddings are awesome, right? Oh, I mean, you just, you love them. But, but I was thinking about it yesterday. I was actually part of a, a memorial yesterday, and I was thinking about how that memorial was, it really was ultimately about relationships as well. I mean, think about the last funeral you, were, you went to. Do they, do they stand up at the funeral and, and do they talk about the person's net worth? Do, do they talk about how many business deals that the person has closed? No. You, you know what you find at a, a funeral is you just find relationship description on overdrive. That's really what it is. It's, it's about relationships. And, and, and I share that with you because today's passage, as we look at Proverbs chapter 16, what we're going to find is we're going to find one of the most important Proverbs about you and your relationships. This proverb, it's a little bit tricky to understand at first, and we might get our wires crossed, but I think we can sort through it well together today. But this proverb, let me, let me read it for you together uh, again, and then what I want to do is I want to introduce our big idea, and then we're just going to jump right in. Here's what it says. It says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 
Now, this proverb, these two phrases in this proverb, they actually lay out for you today, for believers in Christ, and and there's principles for those who have yet to trust in Christ, but they lay out for us what I'm going to call two guardrails for our relationships. What we see here ultimately is that the fear of the Lord gives relational guardrails. The fear of the Lord, properly understood, and we'll define that again, it gives you relational guardrails. I mean, would you like, would you like some guidance on how not to mess up your relationships? It's so easy to mess up relationships, isn't it? Would you like some guidance on how to avoid some, some giant traps in, in your friendships, in your marriages, with your parents or with your children, with your coworkers and with your neighbor? This proverb is going to give that to you. In, in fact, would you like, would you like a path? that can give you direction to fix some relationships that you have. You know, one thing I, I know certainly as, as a pastor is you come in this room and almost every one of us have some relationships that we would love to see repaired. Very rarely do I meet a person that has no relationships that, that have tension. In fact, all of us, we come in here today and we, we almost always have a, a person or two on our heart that we say, man, I just wish so bad things were better. Yeah, I don't want to overpromise today, but, but, but this proverb, this text from God's word, it will give you that path. This text will give you these relational guardrails, one on each side of your life. I mean, it's almost like our relationships, it's like we're driving down a narrow one-laid road that has an edge on one side and a cliff on the other. And it's so easy to mess those up. But if you have these guardrails, if you have these guardrails, even when you start to mess up a little bit, guess what? You can get your relationships straightened out again. Let me show you what I mean. If you have not turned to Proverbs 16 yet, would you open up your Bibles with me? Proverbs 16, we're going to look at verse 6. And I want to begin by talking about the first guardrail this passage describes. The first guardrail this passage describes that I would say, with fear of the Lord, you forgive relational sin. With fear of the Lord, you, you learn how to forgive when someone sins against you. The text here, here's what it says. It says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I want you to zero in on that first half of the text. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Now, this passage, it's fascinating because this is speaking about your steadfast love and faithfulness. What we're going to see is that your steadfast love and faithfulness, it is meant to imitate God and God's steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, by and large in the scripture, whenever you come to these words, steadfast love and faithfulness, throughout really the entirety of the scripture, when it speaks of steadfast love and faithfulness, you know what it's speaking of? It's not speaking of you and I being, uh, having an ability to have that, but it's actually speaking about God. The steadfast love and faithfulness is some of the, the greatest descriptions of who God is. I mean, what is steadfast love? It's, it's a, two words in English, but in the original language, it's one word. It's actually one of the, the most common words describing God's love. Sometimes it's, co- it's translated covenantal love. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love. Sometimes it's even translated mercy. 
But but the word really is is this this idea of God and his love being a God who he has promised to love, and he is unwilling and unable to break that promise. Now, this is a picture of God and his love, first of all, for Israel. And you think about this. God is a God who he made a promise to a nation. He made a promise to this nation, Israel, and this nation, Israel, they, they were, uh, we'll just say they were a lot like us. They weren't good at keeping their promises to God. They, they spiritually speaking, they fell on their face over and over and over again. In God's promises to them, he promised to always love them, but he also promised that there would be times where he would, he would discipline them. You think about this and you think about the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he is sometimes called the weeping prophet. Because Jeremiah, he was the prophet when he seed, he seed uh, Israel's capital destroyed. You see, he saw the people taken into captivity. He saw them led away into exile. And so you can imagine this would give him reason for tears. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is describing, he, he's lamenting. His heart is full of sorrow. This is happening to his people, his nation. But there's this, this incredible sliver of hope. Jeremiah chapter 3, or excuse me, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It, it talks about this God who is a God of steadfast love. And it talks about his faithfulness. Verse 22, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God, in his promise to love his people, it never ceases. It continues, it says, his mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. And then it says, great is your faithfulness. See, before we talk about your steadfast love and your faithfulness, we have to calibrate our vision before we talk about our character, before we talk about our relationships, we have to begin with a, with a full picture view of as much of the character of God as we can grasp. We, we must see that he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And this, this is true even when Israel is in exile. This is true of, of God even on the worst day imaginable for God's people. See, this is where we start today. By and large, in the scripture, when it speaks of steadfast love and faithfulness, we just need to see this is talking about God. But in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, it speaks about not God's steadfast love and faithfulness. The book of Proverbs is unique. Because instead of saying, here's God who is steadfast, love, and faithful, it's saying, this is for you. Let me show you what I mean. We've, we've looked at Proverbs 16, but, but look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, verse 3, early on in the book. In the book of Proverbs, you have various sages, various wise people, some like Solomon, who are giving advice. They're giving wisdom, an understanding of the way the world works and how to best live in this world. Proverbs chapter 3, listen to the advice of the sage. Here's what he says. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. He says, don't let go of them. Don't let them grow distant from you at all. Instead, he says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. When, when Proverbs speaks about steadfast love and faithfulness, it's speaking about you. 
is speaking about you and about me having a character that reflects God's character, having a character that mirrors who God is in his steadfast love and in his faithfulness. Now, make no no, no mistake, this doesn't mean you're going to do that perfectly. This isn't saying that you're going to always have steadfast love and you're always going to be faithful. But, But here's the point of it. It says to bind them on your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. This is calling you, especially those in Christ now today, to make a commitment to say that you are going to aim yourself at reflecting the character of God, the person of Christ, as much as possible. I wonder if you've made that commitment. I wonder if you've aimed yourself at integrity. See, I, I, I find that, in, especially our culture, 21st century America, where the edges are continually being blurred, or the moral boundaries are being erased and moved over and over again, and not just in the world, but, but even in church, it can be really easy for us to instead of taking the character of God, instead of taking steadfast love and faithfulness and binding them to ourselves and writing them on our hearts, instead we can say, well, you know what? In this situation, I'm going to blur the edge. In this moment, I'm going to cross the line. This is, this is aiming us at a character, at, a, at a, an integrity that mirrors God's. Now, we'll talk about this more in a minute. But, but the text, it says, it says, by steadfast love and faithfulness. And then it describes an outcome. This is, this is a proverb that the first half of it is, its structure is, if A, then B. You look, look at the text. If A, if you have steadfast love and faithfulness as core characteristics of who you are. If A, then B. Can you notice what the B is? The B is, says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Now let's, let's define these words. Because I imagine so far this morning, very few of us have used the word iniquity, right? Where you just having a casual conversation with your wife and you're like, hey, oh yeah, my iniquity today was really bugging me. Like, Probably not. And I'm guessing in the same way, there's very few of us that have used the word atone this morning. So let's talk about these two words. Let's make sure we have these words clear in our mind, and then we're going to connect it all together. So iniquity is sin. Iniquity is transgression. Iniquity is rebellion. Iniquity is God has a standard and an expectation, and guess what? You and I, we've missed that standard and that expectation. That's what iniquity is. And and then similarly, atonement. Atone. Atone means to make right, or literally speaking, it means to cover. So what this text is saying is it's saying by your character, iniquity is made right or it is covered. Now, I hope there's a few in here that are starting to have a red alert in the back of their mind, and they're starting to worry about their pastor who's becoming a heretic because we're we're tiptoeing near it. We're tiptoeing near it if we misunderstand this passage. 
If you are hearing this and you are hearing the passage say, if you have steadfast love and if you have faithfulness, then your sin, your iniquity will be atoned for and it will be covered. See, see, you should have a red, uh, blaring, a red flag going off saying, wait, 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 we can't earn forgiveness. This is teaching that. That would be, that would be contrary to the rest of Scripture. See, this is not speaking of your sin being forgiven by your character. This proverb is relational. This proverb is relational. This is saying when someone else has iniquity against you, when someone else has done evil to you, when someone else has sinned against you, your love for them, your faithfulness to them can cover that, can choose to make it right. You know what the first half of this proverb is talking about? It's talking about forgiveness. This is our first guardrail in relationships. The first guardrail, if you're sitting here today and you're following along, the first guardrail is that the fear of the Lord or a right relationship with God or steadfast love and faithfulness, it creates a guardrail that is forgiveness of relational sin. Let me tell you something about everyone in this room. You're all sinners. (laughs) So am I. Let me tell you something about your husband and your wife. They are a sinner. The same about your children and your parents. Guess what? I'm going to tell you something about your pastor. He's a sinner. And you know what happens from time to time? We sinners, we do. We do this thing called sin. We sin against each other. And it hurts. It's not good. It's not right. It's, it's sin. It's iniquity. It's, it, it's not pleasant, but it's a reality. It's reality. And you and I, when we're sinned against, we can harden our hearts, and we can go around saying, someone sins against me, and I cut them out of my life. Someone sins against me, and I hold the grudge. Someone sins against me, and I cultivate resentment and bitterness in my life. And you are going to have very few relationships. See, see this is why we need a guardrail. Because there's going to be time when you're driving down that, that narrow one-lane road and another car crashes into you and it's going to knock you off that edge if you're unwilling to forgive. See, follow along with me in your notes. You give forgiveness as one who has received forgiveness from God. This is, the, this is the pattern. You show steadfast love and faithfulness as one who has been shown steadfast love and faithfulness from God. You give forgiveness as one who has received forgiveness from God. This, this word atonement, it's... It's an Old Testament word, actually. It's a term that's used often in, in Israel's sacrificial system. The, the way it would work is someone would sin, and then the priest would go, and he would slaughter an animal, usually a bull or, or the like, and he would slaughter it, and he would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it on the altar, and it would be used as an atonement, or it would cover the altar, and it would be used to cover the sin of the people. But 
the reality is the sin of animals never removed, or excuse me, the sacrifice of animals never removed the sin of the people. That Old Testament sacrificial system, it was a placeholder. It was a type. It was an expectation of a real forgiveness, a real cleansing, and a real removal of sin that the Old Testament saints, they lived in anticipation for that real forgiveness. And that real forgiveness came in the person of Jesus Christ. Now think about Jesus and his life. Jesus lived a perfect life. Just like in the Old Testament, they had to use a spotless lamb. Jesus lived a perfect life. You know all those times when you sin with your words or with your actions or with your thoughts? Never once did Jesus do that. Jesus had zero inequity. He lived that perfect life. And then he loves you and he loves me so much that he was willing to give us credit for his perfect life. And not only that, but he was willing to take the consequence for all of your sin and all of my sin, for all of our iniquity. He was willing to take that with him upon the cross and he was willing to die a sacrificial death so that your sin could be forgiven in full. The same Jesus was buried. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected from the grave. The scripture says that everyone who who believes in him is saved. They, They are forgiven. They are adopted. They are made new. They are brought into the church. This is the work of Jesus. This is the forgiveness of Jesus that you and I, that we, by faith, that we have offered to us. See, God provides for us to receive forgiveness. I know we're talking about relationships today, but I want to linger here for just a moment. Have you received this forgiveness from Christ? You know, in my conversation with folks, sometimes we we sit right there on the edge where it's kind of making sense, where most of our questions have been answered, but we're, we're hesitant, we're fearful, we're unsure. And so we, we hear of this forgiveness, but we don't actually receive it. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is there could be someone coming here week after week saying Christian things, doing Christian things, acting in a Christian way, but they have yet to receive Christ and his forgiveness. You see, there's much more to this message, but but if you miss this point, the rest of it doesn't really matter. I've got some practical things to teach you from the rest of this text, but, but if you miss this point, those practical things, they'll only get you so far and they won't. They won't get you to forgiveness. Have you received the forgiveness that God has provided in Christ. Let's keep going, though. See, see God, he, he shows his steadfast love and faithfulness so that we can show his steadfast love and faithfulness. And then God provides us with forgiveness, and then God provides for us to give forgiveness. God provides for us to give forgiveness. 
If you've been around Valley very long, you've probably heard me speak about this coming passage. This is my go-to counseling verse. This is my favorite passage to preach at a wedding. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Here's what it says. Uh, Three things. I'm going to just skim over the first two, and then I'm going to land on the third one. The first, it says, be kind to one another. Now, Now, kindness is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Kindness is action. Kindness is doing good for others. Kindness is serving each other. You can't be kind without actions, right? So be kind to one another. And then it says tender-hearted, soft-hearted. Some versions say compassionate. This is the idea of I, I care deeply about what you're going through. If you're struggling, I, I want to walk with you. I want to care for you. If you're hurting, my shoulder is right here for you. I might not experience it exactly like you are, but I can be right there next to you during it. Tenderhearted is seeking to understand what someone's experiencing. And then it says this, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me just say that again. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me, just, let me just start by reminding you how God in Christ has forgiven you. We just heard the gospel, but I like to picture it like, imagine, imagine my sin. Imagine a giant dump truck that is overflowing with waste. And we're talking about the, the foulest smelling waste you can imagine. It's dripping. You can't get within 100 feet without like, like throwing up because of the scent. This is all of my iniquity. This is all of my sin. And this dump truck, it is overflowing. And because of Christ and his sacrifice... God has taken all of that waste and he has emptied that dump truck and he has washed it. That thing has a shine on it like, a, like you could not believe. This is how much God in Christ has forgiven me. But, but the text is, is a comparison. It says, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is talking about not simply how God has forgiven you, but this is talking about how I and you, how we are to forgive others. I want you to imagine, we've seen my dump truck, and I want you to imagine someone else's sin against me. And it's not a giant dump truck, because I'm, I'm a sinful person sinning against a holy God, that makes my sin infinitely larger than what any other sinful person can do against me. So I want you to imagine someone else's sin against me, and it's not a giant dump truck, it's a little one of those Tonka trucks, you know those ones? They used to make them out of metal, but now they're like made out of plastic. You remember being a kid, your little Tonka truck? Those things were fun. And that thing is full of the same grime and the same guilt and the same sin, and it smells. But quantity-wise, it doesn't compare. But why is it? Why is it we're unwilling to empty that one? Why is it when someone says something hurtful, when someone treats us in a way that's unfair, when someone even sins against us in in a way that is just so wrong, why is it we are so eager to cling, to cling to that? Why are we so unwilling to forgive? See, the text here teaches us to the same level that you and I have been forgiven by God in Christ, 
that is the level that we forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, this is a complicated topic. And, and there, there are much, there's much more I can say about this. I understand if someone is unrepentant, the, the way forgiveness works is very different than if they're repentant. The ideal here is that we are forgiving each other as we are repenting of our sin to each other. That, that's the ideal pictured here. Yet, yet, we still must wrestle with this reality of our own unforgiveness. Who, whose sin, whose sin against you are you holding on to? Where is the resentment? in your heart? Where, where are you feeding bitterness against someone who has done wrong to you? You might not be at the spot where you're ready to just grant forgiveness. But you are at a spot where you can begin to cultivate a heart like the Lord's. A heart that aims at forgiveness. See, ultimately this guardrail, this guardrail that keeps us from falling off the relational cliff this guardrail is a guardrail of love that leads to forgiveness. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 4. Verse 8, here's what he says. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Not casually, not occasionally, but, but with the zeal. And here's what he says. He says, since love covers a multitude of sins. You remember what atonement means? To cover. He says, keep loving one another earnestly. Here's what we're talking about. We cover the sins of others with love. Let me just say a, a few more things about this before we move on to the next guardrail. Practically speaking, here's what this can look like in your life today. Someone says something offensive to you, and you choose not to be offended. Someone's rude to you, and you just let it wash right off you like water off a duck's back, right? You make this, cho this choice to be unoffendable because of all of the forgiveness that you've received in Christ. You just begin to, to cultivate this mindset that says, I, I, I'm going to be really hard to offend. You're going you're gonna, to you say to other people, you, you have to work really hard to sin a lot against me to get me to the spot or, or I'm going to be offended. Now, I'm not giving permission for abuse. If you're experiencing abuse, that, that's not okay. And if that's you, there's help here. So I want you to be very clear about that. But by and large, I think most of us, our issue is we're, we're always offended. Not that we're never offended. This first guardrail is how to deal with sin and how to forgive. The fear of the Lord ends up leading us in forgiveness of relational sin. The second guardrail, though, isn't how do we deal with sin. The second guardrail is how do we avoid sin. The first one says, with fear of the Lord, you forgive relational sin. The second one says, with fear of the Lord, you fend off relational sin. Let me show you. Remember, the context of this proverb is relationships. Verse, 16, or verse 6 of chapter 16 says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Now, the parallel of the second half says, and by fear, the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. But by fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. See, what we're talking about here is your character serves as a magnet. 
Your character serves as a magnet. This means that the person that has a godly life, they avoid evil. They, they repel evil. They repel relational evil. If you walk with the fear of the Lord, remember what we've defined that as? The fear of the Lord is godly living based upon who God is and who we are. If you live with the fear of the Lord, then you're going to live the kind of lifestyle that by and large, it repels evil simply because of the character that is being developed in you. The character that is being developed in you. What kind of character are we talking about? What kind of integrity should a believer reflect? One of the greatest pictures comes out of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Now remember, this is fruit. So, so we have to think about the root. The root is, my life has been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, and so now I am being changed little by little so that I live a different kind of life. So the fruit is what's produced when the root has been transformed. What is this fruit, though? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, is what the text says. This is the character that you and I are to be cultivating. This is the fruit of the person that has the aim of steadfast love and faithfulness as they know the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just, let me read those characteristics again. I actually want you to close your eyes just for a minute. I want you to prayerfully examine your heart. Ask yourself if, if the Spirit is producing these things in your life. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. You can open up your eyes. When you walk in the Spirit, when you walk with the Lord, you want to know what's produced? It's not giant emotional feelings. It's steady character transformation. It's so that your, your husband and wife or your children or your coworkers, they begin to see this, this overflow out of your life that is, is more and more like Christ. And when you live that way, it repels evil. Why? Because you're not offended. Because you don't enter into the drama. Because you don't start drama. You don't start uh, conflict. Why? Because you, the Spirit's working in you. See, the godly life avoids relational evil. But I gave you this image of a magnet. This magnet, it repels relational evil when you're walking in the Spirit. But you're not, if you're not living according to the Spirit, if you're not living a, a life that fears the Lord, you know what it does? This magnet, it attracts. It attracts relational evil. 
It's, it's a magnetic pull toward all kinds of relational pain and drama. In your notes, I've listed out a handful of scriptures. Passages like Galatians 5 talks about the, the, the work of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Timothy 6, and 2 Timothy 3. Your, your notes has that listed, but here's what I've done. I've actually, I've taken all of those and I've cataloged them. And I just want to read off for you what a life produces that does not walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, I have a couple of disclaimers. First one, you're going to find yourself on this list. You're going to find parts of your heart on this list. I don't share this with you because I, I want to point you out and I want to get down on you. I share this with you to, to allow the Spirit to do its work in transforming you so this no longer describes you. Now, that's my first disclaimer. The second one is these passages, while they, they give a list, they also give some commentary. Let me, let me start with some of the, the, the commentaries provided. So this list... In one passage, it's described as it says, it does not accord with godliness. That's the first thing on the list. I think if you want to put the slide up, this is going to be helpful. I just lots of slides for you guys. So the first, it does not accord with godliness. Godliness, which is fear of the Lord. This list does not match a life that has a fear of the Lord. The commentary also says that this, does not, this life does not inherit the kingdom of God. The scripture describes this life as not a, being a lover of God. Listen very carefully. If you find yourself on this list and you're unrepentant toward it, don't say you love God. <laughs> you can't live this way unrepentantly and say that I love God. That, 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 you can't. This list is, is described as only having the appearance of godliness. And, and then also it sees godliness as a way of financial gain. These last two break my heart because it actually teaches that there can be people involved in a church and their involvement is for selfish motives. It says that they have an appearance of godliness. They look like a Christian. They even at times act like a Christian, but that text actually says they deny its power. They deny the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that said, let me give you this list. These four passages combined and tabulated. This is what a life that does not fear the Lord produces. First of all, abuse. Are you an abusive person? Are you a bully? Do you have to get your way and you're willing to push people over to get it? Secondly, they're arrogant. Third is brutal. They have a craving for controversy and quarreling about words. Disobedient to parents. Drunkenness. Enmity. This is the idea that you're, you're always causing tension. You're always cause, having a battle with someone. Twice. This list mentions envy. When, when you're envious, you want what someone else has. It talks about evil suspicions or fits of anger. 
How short-tempered are you? How easy is it for someone to get under your skin? It uses the word gossip. I wish gossip wasn't part of the church. I've seen so many people hurt so deeply by gossip. It says they're heartless. This means that we hurt each other and we don't even care. Have you hurt someone? Have your words or actions cut someone deeply and you shrug it off like it doesn't matter? It shows up in, in hostility or idolatry or impurity. Twice it uses the term jealousy. One passage describes this as being a lover of money, a lover of pleasure, and a lover of self, but not loving good. In many places it describes sexual sin like orgies. It says that this kind of person, they produce constant friction. I just think about that. Do you live the kind of life that you're producing constant friction? You're always poking. You're always arranging things. You're always just getting under someone else's skin and offending people. You're, you're always producing friction. It says it produces dissension and division. Three times it actually says that in these passages. Dissension and division. This is the splitting of a church because of selfishness. It says this person is proud. Three times it says they're puffed up or swollen with conceit. It's interesting how he describes conceit. He doesn't just say conceit most of the time. He, he describes it as being puffed up or swollen. In your conceit, you think you're great, but everyone else sees how really just disfigured you look. There's quarreling and recklessness. There's rivalries and sensuality, sexual immorality. Three times it talks about being slanderous. Sorcery or strife, being treacherous, unappeasable. This is a person where nothing can ever make them happy. They understand nothing. Why? Because they don't understand the gospel. They're ungrateful, unholy, and without self-control. Did you find yourself on that list? Yeah, I, I, I found myself on that list. This is not meant to say you're on this list and so your life's over, buddy. Get out of here. We don't love you. No. These lists are in the Scripture to lead us to repent. These lists are in the Scripture. The Scripture is meant to be a mirror where we stand in front of it and we see our reflection. And if we're willing to be honest and say, wow, I have not been living a godly life. I have been faking it. I have the appearance of godliness, but I'm denying its power because of the way, listen, because of the way I am treating other people. Church, we, we, we can't play this game where we come to church and we sing and we lift our, lift our hands and we act like we're all good with God and then we're mean or evil or conceited or abusive to each other. Those things do not match. The point of this text is to lead us to, to, to install this guardrail. You remember our first guardrail? Our first guardrail is a guardrail of forgiveness. 
you, listen, you are going to be sinned against. Others are going to hurt you. Maybe someone in this room already has. Are you going to hold a grudge? Are you going to be bitter? Are you going to hold that against them? Or are you going to remember the forgiveness that you've received in Jesus Christ and then walk in giving that forgiveness to others? That's our first guardrail. But the second guardrail, the second guardrail is the fear of the Lord. It's living a godly life. Jesus describes the greatest commandment as to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And then he says the second is just like it. Remember the second one? To love your neighbor as yourself. I'd like to ask you to bow your head. I'd like you to ask you to, if you are a Christian, if you've trusted in Christ, I would like to ask you to remember the forgiveness that you've received. If you've yet to trust Christ, I would, I would invite you to receive forgiveness today. To trust that Jesus died and rose again. You can know today that you can be forgiven of all your sins but here's what else I'd like you to do. I'd like you to consider your character. I'd like you to consider your attitude. I'd like you to consider the way you treat other people and prayerfully go before the Lord. And if there's, there's anything that you found on that list that matches you, will you go to the Lord and repent, confess, Thank him that that's been forgiven. But most importantly, will you ask the Lord to change you so that you can have steadfast love and faithfulness bound upon your neck and written on the tablet of your heart? Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you so much for your steadfast love and faithfulness toward us. Thank you for your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he paid the price for our sin. Thank you that he gave us credit for his perfect life. And thank you that by your Spirit, we can now walk in that same steadfast love and faithfulness. God, we confess there's no way for us to do it on our own. We, we freely admit that we are stubborn people and we are given to sin so regularly. But Lord, today we've come face to face with your word, which serves as a mirror. Lord, some of us were 
We're just laying our hearts bare before you, confessing our sin, our selfishness, the, the hurt we've done to others. Lord, we're sorry. God, thank you that by your spirit we don't have to live this way. And Father, we, we beg you to help us not to live this way. Instead, Lord, I pray you would form us into a people who are so full of love and grace toward one another. I pray that we would be those who continue to love one another earnestly. And, and when we sin, that we would have the kind of love that covers each other's sins, that is quick to forgive and even quicker to, to repent of our sin. God, we thank you. We thank you for your, your steadfast love toward us, God. We, we just rejoice in it, especially on days like today when we come repenting and begging you for help. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.